I've had people that are that became founders after for years being marketing consultants and they'll like call me up like really embarrassed. Like, you know, I used to do this for clients and I'm totally lost. Can you help? And I'm like, there's no need to be embarrassed. We've all been there. It's very hard to talk about ourselves and to explain it in a way that is clear to the other side because we're looking and it's us, it's super clear. Yeah, but they're not in your brain. They haven't gone through this journey up until now. You're listening to Art of the App. I'm your host, Michelle Cherian. Each episode, you'll get creative inspiration from mission-driven startup founders, investors, and other experts disrupting the status quo. Hear about the thought processes and values that help guide them from early ideas to the standout products and brands that people love. Looking to learn from others creating a massive impact in the world? Welcome to Art of the App. Welcome, everyone. In today's episode, I talk to Donna Griffith. Donna is a corporate storyteller. She has worked globally for over 17 years with Fortune 500 companies, startups, and investors in a wide variety of industries. She has consulted and trained clients in over 30 countries, helping them create, edit, and deliver verbal and written presentations, pitches, and messages. Donna has the ability to magically spin raw data into compelling stories that captivate audiences and drive to results. Through her guidance, clients have raised over a billion dollars. In this episode, Donna and I talk about how she draws the story out of business owners that she works with, the arc of a great pitch deck, and how when you find your X factor, you will know exactly how to stand out. This part has great tips for anyone out there going through job interviews. If you enjoy the podcast, please scroll up and subscribe. That is the number one way that we can grow and reach more people. Okay, let's dive in. You're the corporate storyteller, pitch alchemist. And in your intro video on your website, you were saying that you, you know, roamed around the world helping people tell their stories. Yeah. I was just wondering, like, what is one really fun, maybe outlandish story that you helped with or a client that that was really like exciting? Oh my gosh, I, I see exciting things every day. I mean, I get to work with the most brilliant, brightest minds everywhere and tell their stories in a way that they either wouldn't allow themselves to do or, or are too caught up in the technicalities to do. So, I mean, it's very hard to pick one because every day I work on the stories for like at least two companies <laughs> and they're either their investor story or their, their sales story. I mean, I've done everything from like blockchain to construction blocks from, you know, consumer apps to very business oriented enterprise tools. I mean, I have a real soft spot when it comes to life sciences and medical devices, because I feel like that's the real deal. It's an easy sell. It's easy to find the story that's like, we all have thoughts about our own mortality and our own health and kind of thinking of how we can make that better every single investor, every single customer is going to at some point encounter this with themselves or with a loved one. So those I really like to work on. So I don't know if I can think of one specific one, but maybe as we go. Yeah. When you're working with these startups or corporate enterprises, what's the first stage that you kind of help them with? And and how do you kick off drawing out that story with them? It's going to be different for a small startup and like either a growth phase company or a corporation or like employees within a corporation. But I think that what is at the core of all storytelling and all messaging is it's not about us. 
It's our story, but we will tell our story in a way that shows how we serve the audience on the other side. And that's where a lot of people get it wrong. And a lot of people have trouble, you know, tooting their own horn or bragging about their achievements. But if you're doing it within the context of this is what I can do for you as my employer or potential employer or for you, my potential investor or for you, my potential customer, that's where it really starts. And that's the kernel of the storytelling, because we want to tell their story, their pain, their problem not directly theirs, but someone like them, and then show how we've solved it or will solve it and make them go, ooh, I'll have what she's having. And for yourself, like storytelling is such an art, like any other art. How do you balance your own like creativity there? Do you have a like a personal outlet that you nurture in that way or a place that you go to find inspiration? Wow. That's such a good question. You know what? I feel like every day I have an opportunity to sharpen my own knives just by doing. It's like every customer is a sandstone in a way I can. So I draw inspiration from the process. I'll learn something new every day. I'll learn about a new technology. I'll learn about a new solution. I'll help them look at it from a different direction. And by doing that, It's so exciting and so enticing. And I finished the day exhausted, but exhilarated at the same time. And then the rest of the evening, I just want to be with my family (laughs) and and not think and like just watch something mindless. We love cooking shows. That's one of our, our weaknesses. So really just actually, I think for me is letting my brain rest in between is the most important part of the creative process. That's so true. It's really important to kind of let ourselves regenerate. Yeah. If we're running on empty, we're never going to do a good job. And like yesterday I finished the day after building two pitch decks and a bunch of talks. And I had one last call at the end of the day. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I can't even think straight. I'm just going to have to, I had nothing left. I was completely depleted and I needed to go make dinner and sit down and and regenerate. Exactly. It's like almost growing a new brain. Yeah. And it's really good to honor that whenever you know that you can't show up for that last meeting, maybe. And it's like, you know, we'll have to reschedule this. I'm also pretty like fanatic about my weekends, even though I'll have people like, can't you work with me on Sunday? Can you do this? This is so urgent. Holding on to my weekends. Cause I know that if I work on the weekend, I will not have that regeneration. And as much as like, Oh, I want to help and I want to work with them. And I, I just need that time. I wanted to, you know, dive into like corporate product storytelling, you know, versus like your personal storyteller, personal branding. Like I know on your website, you kind of talk about like having this like one shot to get your message across. And I kind of talk about that too with, I help founders sometimes with onboarding and it's like really making that first impression is so important. And we, we have taglines and we have things that are just like our, our one-liners that people get it. One of my mentors used to call it the caveman, you know, intro, it kind of like hits your limbic brain and it's like, oh, I know what exactly that is and I want it or I don't want it. And then there's this other side that I think is part of personal branding too, which is this ongoing storytelling that happens a lot of times over time, you know, and it kind of trickles out with the stories you tell and how you reach people with different facets of how you're making them feel. I thought that that's like an interesting place to jump off and just talk about storytelling. You said something very interesting there by saying the cave brain. 
because storytelling is age old. I mean, way back to cave and before the last upgrade we got to our brain hardware wise was a part that emerged about 50,000 years ago. And it's called the prefrontal cortex. And it's our center for visual processing. It's what suddenly helped us recognize the members of our tribe. So we you know, wouldn't want to kill the next person that came because we, and it's also about the same time that we started to find cave paintings from about 50,000 years ago. So people suddenly were able to express themselves pre-language and tell their story, which stayed for many, many years. And we learn about ancient civilizations through these cave paintings. So storytelling is very old. And then we go through Greek classics and Shakespeare, and Moliere, and Chekhov, and there's a very specific structure to storytelling. There's a magic to it. And somewhere along the line, it got lost because our ancestors didn't sit around the campfire giving PowerPoint presentations. They told stories. And we remember stories. People remember stories. They don't remember bits and bytes and numbers. I've worked with companies 10, 11 years ago that I still remember their origin story. I don't remember their business model and their CAC and their LTV. I remember why they came up with the idea. I mean, I bet you, Michelle, and and a lot of the listeners can think of like a story that they heard from their grandparents or that something that's been passed down in the family for many years. And it's like, ooh, yeah. And it's so visceral and so alive that I almost feel like I was there myself watching it as a scene. And again, that's the beauty of storytelling. It makes us imagine ourselves into the scene. And then what happens is when we tell a great story, whether about ourselves, our background, something that we've done, or the story of our product and why it's needed or why we decided to work on it. I just finished literally right before we were recording this with two founders working on something in the construction tech realm. And we told the story of how the the kernel of realization came that this was a thing that needed to be dealt with. I took that story and that became their intro. So what it does at the same time is it tells a story, it illustrates it, but it also credentials them to show how involved they are in this. So storytelling just has the power. Now, there's a wonderful talk by a professor, and I'm blanking on his name, and I apologize, but he he talks about the MBA student uh, and the bicycle. (laughs) And he said, so there were two MBA students up for a position at a hedge fund. And one goes in, they introduce, why should we hire you? Well, because I was summa cum laude and I excel at uh, differential economic models and blah, blah, blah. Great. Okay. Thank you. Next. So the next one that was going to come in had called his father the night before and said, dad, I know they're going to ask me, you know, why should they hire me? And what do I answer? And he said, you answer because of the bicycles. He said, huh? And he said, don't you remember when you were a kid, you would go and you would find abandoned bicycles in the neighborhood and you would come and you would renovate them and paint them and then sell them for a hundred bucks after you just picked them up and they were junk. And that's exactly why you should work for a hedge fund because you know how to take something, increase its value, then sell it for a profit. I love that. I know. Isn't that great? And so then the professor said, so who do you think got hired? He said, of course, it's a bicycle story. And then 10 years down the road, when he makes partner and his boss is telling the story of how she interviewed him and hired him, she'll, of course, tell the bicycle story. And it might turn into 300 bucks because inflation, you know, but she remembers the bicycle. She doesn't remember the differential algorithms, blah, blah, blah. And why the bicycle stands out 
is because it hits into that cinematic, right? There was this thing, he went, he had the audacity to go and buy these things and then remake them and resell them. And, you know, you kind of get into who he is and what he was like as a, well, I can't remember how old he was when he did it, but, you know, you're kind of picturing this kid doing it and, and how that illustrates who he is and how he will bring that to the work. And you just said you picture it. So I, you're seeing in your mind, this kid in his garage or whatever, I'm seeing a picture. You're seeing a picture. We're all seeing, that's what storytelling does. And we don't know if we're seeing the same picture and mm-hmm. you'll probably tell the story again and change it. And I'm sure I've changed it, but it lives on. It makes you feel a certain way. Yes. And, and, and that'll be different for everyone, but that's the beauty of it. I guess whenever you're creating a pitch for someone, I was thinking about this, like you have all of these founders coming to you, you know, with different decks, some are probably easier stories to tell and some people it's easier to draw out their story, but everyone has a, has a story. The person who thinks that they're the boringest person in the world still has a story, right? So what is kind of like the anatomy or DNA in terms of a good pitch story? What should be in there? Going back to ancient Greece and Shakespeare and Miller and Chekhov, if, if you remember how they wrote, a lot of the great literature started off as plays in acts. Act one, act two later, that became chapters. So it's easier for the brain to kind of take things on in chunks. And if you think about the story of, you know, a Shakespearean tragedy or a Greek tragedy, there's a problem. Something is happening. Something's going wrong. Ooh, and then emerges the hero who has a plan to solve this problem or kill the villain. And then it goes into the actual doing of it and how it happens and the plan of attack. And then the aftermath, the future, what happens after. And that is the baseline and the stepping stones for me for creating any kind of deck. Investor deck, sales deck. So we start off with the problem. If you're talking to an investor, it's the problem, not of the investor, because their problem is they want to make money, but it's the problem or the opportunity for your end user. And there's several different ways to illustrate it. Your origin story, where you experienced it yourself. It could be a story of one of your clients and their miserable existence before working with you and what their struggle was about. It can be an example of a company that was hacked or that lost money or that what. So it it, it can be a lot of different things, but you want to illustrate it because sometimes to founders, it's such an obvious problem and the investor or the customer are listening to you for the first time. And it may not be so obvious to them. So you have to draw them a picture. Like you said, you saw the picture in your head. So starting off with the problem, and and as they say, Silicon Valley investors say, motivate the pain, and then you move on to your solution. How are you going to address this? What's it going to look like? Take them on a user journey. Let them see what it would be like from the perspective of a first-time user. Walk them through the steps. You can create a narrative. You can then, if you used one of your customers, now let's check back in on this customer and see how their life has transformed by using us. And you walk them through the steps. And then, of course, you want the business, the plan. How are you going to make money? How are you different from others? What are your go-to-market strategies? And then the future. Where do we go from here? And this is the part where a lot of times people miss that opportunity to show what their big vision is. And they'll say, yeah, but we're not there yet. I know you're not there yet, but where are you going to take them? And then how are you going to get there? You have to show that you're heading towards much bigger, loftier things in order to really engage an investor and let them paint them this picture of where you could go. 
Will you get there? That's why it's called venture capital. Yeah, it's very much the hero's journey. It is. It's a venture and an adventure. And you just don't know where it's going to lead you. And you might end up making 10x and you might end up losing everything. But it's a journey. Yeah, one of the things you said was whenever the founders are in their own story, they're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's so obvious and it's so maybe uninteresting. And it kind of underpins why it's just so hard to DIY this. You know, it's hard to hear your own story. Oh, so hard. I'm sure even you feel like this. When I had to write about myself or I had to write my own content for my website, I kind of wish that I had the me persona, the storyteller that I could like pull out and have her tell me how to do it. I've had people that are, that became founders after for years being marketing consultants and they'll like call me up, like really embarrassed. Like, you know, I used to do this for clients and I'm totally lost. Can you help? And I'm like, there's no need to be embarrassed. We've all been there. It's very hard to talk about ourselves and to explain it in a way that is clear to the other side because we're looking at it to us. It's super clear. Yeah, but they're not in your brain. They haven't gone through this journey up until now. So it's funny because when I put out like on my website under resources, and you all are welcome to check these out, I have an ultimate cheat sheet for an investor deck, for a sales deck, and for like a demo day deck. It's really like my trade secrets in a way. And somebody said to me, aren't you just like giving away all your secrets? Aren't you going to lose business? And I said, listen, a great chef puts out recipes from their restaurant because there are going to be some people that can't journey to Barcelona and have this amazing experience. And they're going to be pleased as pie to make it at home and just enjoy it and say, wow, this is amazing. I hope I can get there one day. And then there will be those saying, now I really want to meet this chef and I want to taste what he or she has to cook for me. So it's exactly that. It's about finding the value you can bring to others and showing that through your work. It's not giving it away. Some of them will be like, okay, great. I got the recipe to do it myself. And some will be like, okay, sounds great. I can get it organized, but I need you to do the writing. There's also an aspect of like really holding the space for someone to be able to do their own processing. Because a lot of times we just we start, we stop, we get frustrated. We kind of need someone to like be able to see us, be able to say, okay, like, no, stop. Like what you said was really interesting there to like kind of mirror back to us what we're not necessarily seeing. And that is about just like that active listening, that active, you know, reflecting that is so helpful. I'm the perfect benchmark because I don't come from a technical background. I don't come from a finance background. I don't even come from like an MBA. So if after a few minutes in talking, I can tell your story and explain simply that anyone would get it, what it is that you do, you can do it too. Anyone can do it too. Because we have to distill it down to that perfect story that everyone gets. Everyone, your grandmother, your grandfather, your eight-year-old niece, the investor, potential customers, potential employees, everyone needs to get it. Now, you might tell the different the story slightly different to different people, and that's the beauty of it. You find their pain, their need, and then explain the solution, and they get it much better because then it's relating to them. And I know you work with companies and their employees, right, to kind of help them see what their value is. And I think on your website, you called it their X factor, which I thought was awesome uh, wording for it. 
you come from like a writing background and a copywriting background. And, you know, I come from an art and design background and I work in branding and product and and we both work with startups, but like, those are just like things, right? There's a lot of people who do those things, but then the X factor is kind of like how we show up, what about us makes us different. And, and I love this because it's almost like, well, once you know what your X factor is, it's like there's no competition really, right? Because there's lots of people who do what you do, but not how you do it or how you're going to connect with the people. And if you, if you look at your finger now, both your index fingers have different fingerprints and everyone else around is going to have it. So that uniqueness and knowing that you, you bring unique value to an organization is, is incredible. And everybody, I had right now, it's the season where everybody's writing their performance reports and their 180s, 360s. And I see my friends working in corporate just agonizing over it because talking about your own value is one of the hardest things that we have to do. It's probably one of the hardest writings that we'll ever do. And, and I created X Factor as a, as a workshop many, many years ago. Um, a dear client of mine, this was when I was working more with enterprise and a dear client of mine were being acquired by Cisco. Everybody was kind of a buzz. Will we stay? Will we go? Will we be fired? Will we be hired? And, and there was a lot of anxiety around it. And, and, and I was thinking, I felt really bad. And I was like, what can I do to help them? And then I thought, okay, well, they're going to be interviewed. They're going to have to be decided if they stay, if they go. And then if they do go, they're going to have to interview for new positions. People don't know how to sell themselves. So I created this workshop, tell them the X Factor was a popular TV show then with Simon Cowell and, and uh, it's, you know, finding that kind of secret sauce of like, what is your unique edge? And it's finding the talents that you have. You're born with talents. Those are not something that you can learn and train. You can hone them over there and you can improve them, but we all have unique talents. And some people don't realize cooking is a talent. Kindness is a talent. Good listener is a talent. We, we, we discount so many. It's not that you have to be a phenomenal artist, singer, dancer, I wasn't born knowing that I knew how to do stories. It evolved over time. And then I realized that there was an innate talent there that's a gift. Then there's the skills, the things we've honed over the years, how we've taken our talents and honed the things that we've learned. And then there's the company's needs and how we can meet them. So what have we done to prove that our talents and our skills can serve their need and has served the need all over the world over time? And that is the X factor when you can talk and then, but I would flip the order then. So first you talk about the company's needs as you see it, then how you can meet those needs with examples of the kind of person you do. And then that gets turned into a LinkedIn summary that gets turned into your networking pitch that gets turned into your job interview. Cause you know, in a job interview, they say, so tell me about yourself. What a misleading question. Like, where do you even begin? And I think they do that on purpose. Because you can start from anywhere. And the wisdom of being able to start from about them and how you bring something to the table for them, that's going to grab them. Because my next question was going to be like, what's the top tip for you know someone who was wanting to find their X factors? Look back over your life before the company even. The first step is... Look at a volunteer projects, look at class projects, look at things that you love to do and try to identify. And I have a talent bank, then it just like, what are the talents that helped you achieve that? Something that you feel proud of. It could be, you know, a fundraising thing that you did. It could be 
someone told a story of like how she she created like a playgroup for moms with two-year-olds and, and and managed to like make it an ongoing every week thing and these were moms in tech like so something you're really proud of what are the talents what are the skills that you've gathered over the years and then look at the company and their needs and show like anecdotes and examples and numbers of how you've made this happen and then create your X-Factor statement. And I always love starting with a story. So if you can think of a story like the bicycle story or like he went to the job interview and started with the bicycle story. So do you have a bicycle story? Do you have something that encapsulates something special about you from the time you were a kid or when you were in college or when you were a brownie or a Girl Scout or, you know, there's, it's endless. And we all have these stories that really show a facet of ourselves. And that's going to be what captivates and then prove how those talents and skills have come to life throughout your career. They have nothing to do with the actual job that you're doing. And maybe they do. They're like the, they're the background that kind of maybe make you really exceptional at that job, but it's not the direct thing that that job does in a lot of cases. And you want to show, you want to try to match up, you know, what they've written about the job requirements and between you and me job requirements, they don't even know what they're looking for. Usually they just put together a list and it really has nothing to do with the person's soft skills or personality. And there's a lot of startups out there trying to solve that, of course, the recruiting process. But for example, I gave the X Factor workshop to a group of finance and business students and faculty all women, they started like a business club and they asked me to come give the workshop. And I was happy to do it because I feel like this is something we should learn from a very young age that, because we've been told as women so many times, it's not modest, speak when you're spoken to, don't toot your own horn, let your accomplishments speak for themselves. Honey, that ain't going to cut it. Not <laughs> Definitely cut not. It yeah. Because if you don't come forward now, and I always ask my women founders that I work with, would a man that's a male founder presenting this have a qualm about putting out there what the achievements are likely not. You need to think that way. You need to be able to show it. And if it's not a brag, if it has meat, if it has legs, if it's real. And it's a story that shows someone else that they can do it too. In a lot of cases, right? Absolutely. So going back to our students, you know, they went through the workshop and they were just so cute and very, you know, enthusiastic. And then I got an email a couple of weeks later from one of them. And she said, you know, I wanted to tell you that I got an offer for the first job I interviewed for and I implemented everything. And I went through like four or five different phases and I felt like they really remembered me and they remembered what I was saying. And it just felt so good to be able to say it. And thank you. And it was to me, that was just like, so exciting. It's so moving that someone who's just starting her career early 20s, now her first experience was tuning her own horn. She didn't have any job experience. This is her first job, but she was able to gather it from different points in her life. That's amazing. That just makes me so happy. (laughs) Me too. It's like, and these are the things that I I didn't get paid for that. I, I volunteered to do it and I'm happy to. And for me, it's like, it's about giving back in the sense that you can truly make an impact with. Because you don't want to just give back, give back, give back. You want to bring your unique skills and talents to an audience that really needs you. And that's the the essence of the best way of giving back. When you can bring your uniqueness to the table. I'm sure with art and design, you've done that many times as well, helping out on projects. Yeah, for sure. And you're so right. It's, It's so much about 
finding, I guess that, that superpower of like, what, what's going to let you shine and also serve the people that you want, because that's going to be your biggest gift and going to make you expand and grow in the way that, you know, you'll just be able to like have more impact in the world. And I love like your story of that woman who was able to share her, you know, her story from the very beginning of her career, because that's something that like a lot of us would, you know, have to work on getting better at is, is telling that story and being, you know, just telling our story more and not having it feel braggadocious or, you know, in any other way that is, is, is other than just, you know, telling another story. Yeah. And, and it's just, just the way we say, I have red hair and green eyes and, and freckles and I'm light complexion. I mean, those are facts. This, you know, nobody's going to argue and say, oh, really? Why do you have to mention your red hair? It's like, I've got accomplishments. I've done this. I've got this degree. I've, I've brought in projects that have done this. I've, I've worked with over a thousand startups and VCs and helped my clients raise $1.2 billion. Like, these are irrefutable facts. Like, and even myself, I'll sometimes like, I'll be talking about these things and be like, but these are mine and we need to own our achievements. We've worked darn hard to make these happen and we have every right to own it. I co-lead a community online called Women Founders Unite. And one of the main things we want to have there is empower women, women empowering women at different phases of, of the way, giving tips and being there. And my like kind of life mission in addition to, you know, helping people tell good stories is to help women find that powerful voice and yell it from the rooftops. On that end, I guess, is there anything right now, like, kind of like helping women and helping, you know, people in general, like to anyone listening, kind of like help them feel like not alone on their journey. Is there anything that you're kind of like being challenged with right now or what you're working on? Yeah. Anything that you find challenging uh, that you're kind of like actively working on? I think COVID was a massive challenge for all of us. And I think one of the the lines that resonated with me most at the beginning was like, we're in the same storm, but not in the same boat. Because everybody was kind of hit in different ways. The minute, like uh, May 14th, 2020, the day that I got the emails from my girls' schools that they're closing, and then uh, the complex we were living in closing all the shared spaces and clients canceling and people that have already done work for can't pay. I mean, it was all kind of happening at once. And I was shot right back to 2008. I had gone through it then only I was single and didn't have kids. And it just like, I was working, doing more enterprise work and everything was frozen. No travel, no workshops, nothing. In a one fell blow. It didn't happen in trickles over time. Suddenly everything shut down. Then it took me longer to kind of find my way. And that was actually when I pivoted towards startups because I was able to identify a need. I, I was brought on to help a cardiothoracic surgeon with his, uh, professional speeches. He was like the head of the cardiothoracic surgeon and the cardiologist guild. And apparently they're like the jets and the sharks. They don't really like each other. So he had a lot of politics to handle in his speech. So I worked with him on his speeches and then he showed me two medical devices that he had invented. And he said, can you help me with the investor decks? Now I'd never worked on an investor deck before. We're talking 2008, 2009. And I said, I've never worked on an investor deck, but Hey, a story is a story. And I created, he had been invited to a big angel conference in New York. So we created two five minute pitches uh, for the different things. And I actually ended up presenting on his behalf. He was one of those people that like, he can save three lives a day with six hour surgeries, put them in front of PowerPoint, the guy 
<laughs> so then the other companies got up to present and they were just like shot down in the first 30 seconds of their presentation. And my heart really broke for them because I'm like, wow, they have this opportunity sitting in a room with 80 something angels. And why wouldn't they take someone like me to help them prepare? And then I started checking around. There weren't a lot of people working specifically on startup storytelling. So I'm like, okay, that's it. That's, that's, that's where I'm going now. I'm going to work with startups. And then the voices come, ah, startups, I don't have money. They're not going to pay you. Startups don't think they need you. And I'm like, thank you for that, you know? And luckily I didn't listen and I started to build my reputation and I started off doing what I called sponsorship as a service. I would approach accelerators and pitch competitions and offer to work with the pitching teams on their pitches. And in return, I asked to have my logo put up and my name mentioned after the pitches or before the pitches or both. And people started going to these conferences and seeing really good pitches and be like, who's this Donna person? Who's this Donna person? And, and little by little, it started to build me up. And yes, startups do pay when you bring them value. So, so fast forward back to 2020, when this was all happening, I'm like, Ooh, this feels familiar. Okay. So once I caught my breath with the initial title, I'm like, where's my 2008 playbook? What did I learn back then? A few things that I learned. One, if you bring undeniable value, you will always work. And I'm like, okay, who needs the value now more than ever? Well, obviously startups are going to be shaking in their boots because nobody knows if there's going to be investments happening. I mean, it turned out to be an insane year of investments, but nobody knew where that was going to be. So overnight, I created a workshop for founders about fundraising in uncertain times and started putting it out there. Then the second point of value that I I saw would be corporates. Because in in good times, people don't know how to uh, present on Zoom or, or whatever was going to be the remote thing. Oh my God, it was going to be torture. So overnight, I took a very old workshop that I, I taught on remote presenting before we even had video conferencing. This was back in the days of bridges and speaker phones and polycom. Oh, yes, 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 exactly. And I I took those slides from back, like from 2003, 2004, reworked them, modernized them, brought it into Zoom and used it how to create a presentation and then how to engage through Zoom. And I just started putting feelers out to everyone I knew working in large organizations. I booked a few. It's what's funny is there one major company who shall remain nameless, but is in the payment space, who happens to be one of the stingiest companies, because they would like apparently fly in trainers from overseas and and, and pay that they were less to pay than somebody living in Silicon Valley. So, but now all of a sudden it was remote. So it was great value because people from all over could join. So, so funnily enough, I started working with them during the pandemic and once I brought the value and I did these webinars for free and I, I worked with partners and not the ones in the corporates, the ones in the, for the startups, it resurged. And I am now booked like three, four weeks in advance. Amazing. So in terms of your original question challenges, I think making it through this year and coming out, I mean, I, I don't take it lightly for one second. And, and, and I'm, I've tried, there's a, a recently a line came out that women, when they're successful, will say, I got lucky. Whereas men will say, I knew how to spot opportunities. So I don't want to say I was lucky because I worked darn hard for it, mm-hmm. but I feel very blessed to have had that outcome happen because just as easily it could have not happened. Yeah. But you did spot the opportunities and you innovated on them and, and really like, like yeah. you said, like showed the value to the people that needed it. Yeah. And Seneca said, luck is where uh, opportunity meets preparation. 
So I think we make our own proper opportunity by preparing and by doing it. And it's not going to knock on our door. I mean, I remember even with dating. Yeah, you got to go find. I hated being on website. This was before Tinder. This was way <laughs> back. And I didn't meet my husband on a site, but I was just like, you know what? I need to set the wheels in motion and go on a lot of dates to show that I'm serious about this. And then the universe kind of turns the wheels and you end up maybe meeting him through a dating site and maybe not, but you you can't just say, Oh, he'll find me. Exactly what you said. You need to really kind of do your part to show that you're in it. And my innovation in that was to find a really great tribe of, of women friends that were also single because most of my friends were getting married around the time, you know, 28, 29, and I was single and I had to find new friends. So I got on dating sites and went to the other side and started like contacting women saying, sorry, I'm not hitting on you. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's fine. But I'm kind of looking for some other women friends. Oh, like a wing woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go out with, enjoy life while we're on this journey. Want to go for drinks. And I had one that just like, totally sounds great. And we became really good friends and we added some other friends and then, so, so once you're happy and once you're productive and once you're doing and you're in the moment and you're in the flow and you're not thinking about the pains and the problem, things have a way of just falling into place, keeping positivity. And I'm taking this from the dating world, but it's, it's so applicable to life, especially in this year. You got to keep the positivity. You've got to take away the toxicity because there's so much of it out there. Yeah. And I think a lot of it goes back to the thing that we were talking about before about just really thinking about, well, what you want, but, and what you desire, but also not thinking about yourself too much in the way that like, it's more about being in action and actually not having the fear of overthinking it or thinking about like, Oh, what if I do this? What, what will be the result? And it's just, you know, following through on the desire of what, what you want in that moment. And then like you said, going to put together this girl's group, which is amazing. <laughs> my, mom, my mom was just here visiting from overseas. We hadn't seen each other for two and a half. So it was really excited to be reunited. And then she has this tendency to like, think of all the, but what if, but what if, but what if, what if this, and I'm like, you know, mom, it's not even an option right now. Like, why would I even begin to stress about what will I do if that happens? If it's like not on my plate, like I've got enough on my plate to deal with. I'm not going to waste energy worrying about what might happen at some point, like who thought a pandemic could happen seriously in our no. wildest dreams, maybe some people that studied epidemiology, not me, even when it started, I was like in denial, this is, I'll be over in two weeks, whatever. And I'm kind of glad because I had people at the beginning saying things like buckle up. It's going to be a long ride. If I had known right, that we'd be here, <laughs> my kids would be out of school for a good part of a year. I would have don't know what I would have done. So it's like, we're able to take things in chunks. And that's the same thing with storytelling. You tell it in chunks and bits, groups. But, you know, since we don't know what the future lies, and I think if this year has taught us anything, it's like life can change in an instant, just live and make the most of it and deal with the here and now. And of course you have to think about the future, but not stress about the future. Are they going to close down the country again? Will we have variants? I don't know. Probably. Right now I'm loving the fact you know, things are still a little bit more back to normal and we're vaccinated and, and we're living. All right, let's get to our lightning round. Who or what are you learning from right now? My clients every day. I learn new things and I get to hone my brain. And I said to my husband the other day, I'm like, wow, if they say that like exercising your brain will minimize your chance for Alzheimer's, then yay. <laughs> You're on top. 
how do you recharge or fill up after what we were talking about in the beginning, even like just feeling so spent by your work? Wine helps. My family helps. I live in Silicon Valley and we have the best weather anywhere. Sorry, everyone in Germany with floods. Our Pacific Northwest, which right now are melting from heat and here we are. Incredible weather. So we we go out a lot in nature. We do a lot of hikes. Road trips saved our soul during this pandemic that we were able to just, you know, go look at the ocean, go look at the forests, redwoods. It's like, it feels like the list is your land. <laughs> that's what California is all about that. It's Yeah, I miss California. Uh, what advice would you give a young person entering their career? Go with your passion, go with what you love and find a way to turn that into a career. Because... I think, you know, careers that are happening now, 10 years ago, we wouldn't even have imagined community managers, you know, in the creator economy, everyone, you know, wanting to be a YouTuber, wanting to be an influencer. These are things that you can actually make money off of that who who would have thought gets. And I think when my girls who are eight and five move into their career, they're going to be doing jobs that we didn't know existed now. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, go get a serious job, go to law school, go to whatever, because that will dampen your spirit if it's not something that you love. I read somebody um, that I follow wrote something about, you know, follow the energy and then you'll find your purpose. What energizes you? What makes you excited about getting up in the morning? That's what you have to look for where you're like, it's, it, there's a, a term called flow. A philosopher Csikszentmihalyi talks about like this, this optimal performance, like pianists and athletes and dancers are in this moment. And if you saw the movie soul, Lay the Pixar, beautiful. And and he's playing piano and like his soul goes up to like somewhere half between heaven. And, and it's like this moment that you're out of your own body. If you do things and you feel that moment of flow and you're so much loving it that everything stops, that's your calling. Mm. And make that, turn that somehow into a career. And don't let somebody say, oh, you're going to be a starving artist. I, I loved acting from a very young age, but I said to myself, that's not enough. I got to find something to layer on top of that. But that was me, not somebody from the outside telling me that. And I was lucky enough to find I'm a freaking corporate storyteller. Who would have thought that that's a thing? You're another actor in a way. Yeah. <laughs> another part of that. It is, but it's it is. taking my passion for acting and bringing it to space. Now, there's another term that I love called, and this is another thing, pointer for those looking for their career. It's called ikigai. It's a Japanese term, and it means your purpose for being, your reason for being. And it's like, if you look it up online, you'll see like a flower with four segments. So it's your mission, your passion, your purpose. And it's like what what the world needs, what you love doing, what you're good at, and what you can make money doing. And that is the part where women often, like, I love doing this. But you can't take your mission and your passion to the grocery store or, or pay your electric bills with it. Oh, I'm so committed to what I do. Yeah, you need to. So I didn't want to see myself waiting tables at the age of 30 trying to become an actress. So I always studied acting on the side and did some lovely shows and commercials. And I, I lived in New York, too, for, for a long time. But I also was working towards a career that I could sustain myself. Thank you so much, Donna. This has been awesome. Awesome talking to you. This was just like a fun little conversation. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art of the App. If you like the episode, please share it with a friend and consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people just like you find the show. You can connect with me on my website at michellecherrying.com or Instagram 
The link for both is in the show notes. See you next week. 